near and dear coal horse near and dear coal horse near and dear coal horse 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 I just lost my strain of thought. Welcome to Meaning What. I'm your host, Mason Hirschnow. This week, Sean and I are joined by abstract painter Kathleen Larson to discuss a shifting landscape of art Instagram, peace and conflict studies, and navigating abstract art and mediums you're not particularly familiar with. Hey, Sean. Hey, Mason. We have a guest. We haven't had a guest for a while. Um, On the pod today, we have uh, Kathleen Larson. Hi, how are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you? Good. We're excited to have you here. Thank you. Yes. It feels like it's been a while since we've talked to another artist, Sean. It's been you and I and sometimes Chris and our little virtual room together. Uh, Yeah, it's good to get back to the beginning, I guess. <laughs> Back to our roots. Um, so, Kathleen, you are a abstract artist, mostly a painter. Is that correct mm-hmm. to say? Yeah. So, painter. Now, I have a history in sculpture and stop motion film and drawing and all sorts of things. <laughs> yeah. Well, for the audience, uh, would you like to describe your work a little bit? Uh, sure. Yeah, I haven't really had to describe it for anyone, so this might be a little shaky, but I am, I'm relatively new to painting. I started painting in earnest in 2019, and before that, I had, like, a long absence from art, but I guess I would call myself an abstract mixed media painter because the things that come out of me, I don't really understand oftentimes. (laughs) And, and, um, yeah, (laughs) we can get more into it, but but I'm, I'm often confused by the things that I make. So there we have it. (laughs) I appreciate that honesty because I don't encounter that very often um, coming from the academia side, you know, like so much, especially, like post undergrad, so much of it is about perfecting the art of making bullshit. Of bullshit. Yeah, of bullshit. Of making making up. You know that that presentation of always knowing exactly what you're talking about. Which yeah, I strongly hold that most of us generally don't know. But you had your roots in you said sculpture and and video. Mm-hmm. Is that where you kind of got started? Yeah. So I come from a family of artists. My grandfather was um, an oil painter who was pretty prolific in um, Sarasota, Florida. He taught oil painting. My grandmother was a textile artist and painter. And my dad is a really talented graphic designer and photographer, etc. All around craftsman. So art has just always been like very present in my life. And it kind of feels like a family lineage type thing. So as a kid, I was always like drawing and painting and stuff. And art was the only class in like all of school up until college that I like ever took seriously. (laughs) 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 And, um, And then in college, I studied sculpture and I kind of got introduced to stop motion film just in that I started like watching artists that I enjoyed 
And then I kind of taught myself how to do it. And by taught myself, I mean, like, just, you know, with my camera and like iMovie. (laughs) (laughs) But I was doing that both in um, with charcoal drawings and with sculpture. I was I was really into this artist at the time named William Kentridge, who is a South African um, charcoal stop motion filmmaker who basically like draws one picture with charcoal, takes a photo of it, changes it slightly, and then just does an entire stop motion film with one image that he's just like gradually changing. So I tried to do that. (laughs) And then I started like building sculptures and like armatures and stuff and making little movies with that. And I've uh, recently rewatched some of them and they're fine. (laughs) (laughs) that's always a fun activity going back (laughs) especially with things that you're like really proud of oh Um, yeah i'm speaking completely from my own experience are you still proud is the always the question that's point of view not really (laughs) (laughs) alas yeah so how do you get um from there to your current work which is really really heavily abstract and you know there there's still this it's it's always funny to talk about abstract art in general but especially for me with painting mm-hmm. as somebody who is a visual artist but is very much not a painter i've always had this feeling that like abstract art is best talked about between people who share that medium to some extent mm-hmm. and everybody else is just coming in as a spectator so i'm curious do you see a sort of through line between that earlier work and, and what you're doing now? There's still like the sense of like movement and energy in the pieces. Um, do you think that there's a connection there? Or is this this current uh, path kind of something new and, and completely different? Um, yeah, I think there is a connection. And it's funny that you say that about abstract art because I still don't really think that I understand abstract art as a concept. I never really connected with it. I, I've i always loved art and going to museums and then I'll see an abstract piece. And I'm kind of like, what? <laughs> and, and now it makes more sense to me, I guess, because I am kind of like dealing in it myself. But after college, I didn't make art for a long time. Like, I don't know, like almost a decade. And then during that time was like going through some kind of mental health stuff. And then it wasn't until I started to get my mental health issues under control that I started to feel like I could make art again, which was kind of counterintuitive because I think a lot of people think that, like, if you get help for your problems, then you won't be creative anymore. Right. (laughs) Like, you'll lose that creative drive, like, all the pain that you're experiencing, it, like, it will go away and then all of a sudden you just, like, you won't you won't be able to create anymore because you won't be tortured or something. <laughs> time and time again. I know this. I know people think this because <laughs> I've had conversations with friends about it. Like, Oh, if I go on Lexapro, will I like not be able to make music anymore or something like that? Right. Um, but Sean is looking at me like, are you crazy? <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think that, for me, like art is more about an emotional experience 
And the reason that I started painting the way that I do now is because it's like very, it's like a very physical experience. And for me, painting feels almost like an embodiment of whatever is going on in my brain that's like uncomfortable. It's just a way to like get it out in like a very physical way, which I think is why I've kind of transitioned from this more like meticulous sculpture or drawing to something that feels like I don't I don't really know what word to say other than like violent almost. <laughs> <laughs> like I when I'm painting I'm like very messy and it feels like it's just something's just kind of like just kind of spitting out of me. Catharsis. In a way. Exactly. Yeah, it's very cathartic. So what I loved when you approached us about coming on today was you were saying that you felt really fulfilled in your art in this moment, which is A, you know, a miracle for any artist, and B, <laughs> while the world is ending, also especially amazing. So what, <laughs> oh what, what, brings, <laughs> what, brings, what brings around this miraculous moment of, like, joy and self-fulfillment? <sighs> Well, when you put it like that, it's really hard to answer. <laughs> um, I guess, I don't know. I think, I think that, like, I think the pandemic was, I mean, obviously it was a pivotal time for everyone, but I don't know. The weird year, like, <laughs> I had just kind of started on, like, some new um, medications and ones that actually ended up working out for me. So I feel like, I, I mean, obviously there were moments where I was like deeply depressed during the pandemic as everyone else was, but I was kind of at this moment where a lot of things in my life were like very rapidly changing. Like I quit a job that I hated that I had been at for almost 10 years. And I started going to grad school to a program that I really love <laughs> And I had started painting again, and I was, like, taking care of my brain in a new way. So I think that this last year for me, like, I've just learned a lot about myself. And I think more than anything, that is what makes any, like, anything that I do right now fulfilling, including art. Yeah. I, I think that that is definitely, like, a real benefit of the last very terrible year is that, you know, I, I, I think that a lot of us, I certainly did like had to stop and, and like kind of take stock of, of where everything was at and what we were doing. Mm -hmm. um, and it has the ability when you are forced to do that, it has the ability to sort of shake you out of whatever you've kind of accepted as to be true or, or, or just to be. And, um, you know, put you in a, in a new position. Yeah. It's, it's really neat to hear because as we were saying before, like there is that really terribly toxic romantic idea of the tortured artist that I mm -hmm. think most people fall victim to, even if they're not artists, like the people that, that we celebrate tend to, to fit in that stereotype. And as an artist, if you can find a way to make work when you aren't feeling that way, like, like, as you, as you're saying here, like, it can be just as inspiring to like be in a good place 
and make stuff, mm-hmm. you know. Um, yeah. Or be, be in a good place and use previous not-so-great places to pull from or whatever, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, like, I have plenty of bad memories to draw on. So. <laughs> 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 I always have that in my back pocket. <laughs> so the, the idea isn't that you should be uh, forever in the bad place. It's that you stock up those bad experiences and then you pull from them. <laughs> you get just enough. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Just build a cabinet full of bad experiences. <laughs> Just a cabinet? Well, <laughs> I'm being optimistic on my own situation here. You know. <laughs> Sean, have you found that? I mean, because I feel like this trope is especially true in visual arts. And so as my near and dear co-host, I'm always interested to hear about like your relation to it as somebody who's well, whose own art practice is much more performance based mm-hmm. I know that that trope exists in classical music but yeah like, are you finding similar or like are you having a similar experience yourself a little bit right like the pandemic ended any hope of practicing my art in a master's program so yay mm. opposite of <laughs> Kathleen uh, for better or for worse uh, and you know I'm now stuck doing this. I'm sorry, Mason. Um, <laughs> Thanks but for sounding like you want to be here, Sean. I really appreciate that. <laughs> There's a gun to my head. If I count to five. <laughs> <laughs> but my practice, you kind of have to uh, be in at least a mental state that allows you to function and perform. And then you like you suffer on the side, so you literally pull out from that really large bin to convey X emotion. or that, like That's how they always tell you to do it. But like what, one of the most fulfilling pandemic experiences I've had is learning piano, which is more than anything just an exercise in like pride mm-hmm. in learning something that I'm not good at and not something that I can immediately do. And the translating what's in my head to what's in my fingers is a frustrating process of just do the thing. Play that fucking chord, please, <laughs> in the way I want you to voice it. Please. But it, it is, in a, in a way, it's, like, forced me to be more focused and grounded and, like, find, quote-unquote, the good mental place. Because, like, it's hard to learn something like that in, quote-unquote, bad mental place. Yeah. And, like, I haven't gotten to the level of artistry or mastery where I'm, like, playing a piano concerto and then therefore expressing the, the intense sorrows of life. You know? Yeah. Not quite. I, I will get there, probably. One day. I believe in you. <laughs> oh, I need more sadness, though. I gotta manufacture <laughs> okay. some of that. You can share. <laughs> okay. That's that's what you're missing, Sean, is is the house of sadness that you have to build out back before you can become a great a great artist. <laughs> oh man. <sighs> I think another thing that I really came to terms with during the pandemic was like the idea of exposure and like putting the things that I'm making out into the world. Like, I can't tell you how long I wrestled in my brain before I was like, okay, I'm going to make an Instagram for my art. And it sounds so stupid, but as like, I don't know. I, I think as a woman that I, experience a lot of internalized misogyny of like 
you know, the things that I'm making aren't worth it or, and also just, you know, general, like put self put down, self put downery, I guess. <laughs> um, now that's a real artist right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I told you I have, I have a mansion. Mason has a house. <laughs> I have a mansion, <laughs> but I talked to a lot of my female friends Throughout the pandemic, we had a lot of conversations about um, a lot of them are musicians locally. And we had a lot of conversations about just like the terrible things that like sound guys will say to them at shows, just assuming that like, oh, you're you're like a girlfriend of someone in the band or something like that. Or just like automatically making the assumption that like, oh, you're the lead singer or it's just something in that realm where they're like, they're not expected to be somebody who is like proficient in an instrument or somebody who even belongs in that space. And they still do it anyways. And I think that it's so important for, I mean, like people like that, having friends like that, they really inspire me to put myself out there because they see what they're doing sometimes as like, sometimes they feel conflicted about it because they understand the kind of social pressure that they're under. But to me, when I see them doing that, I'm like, Holy shit, you're amazing. Like you're so good at your craft. And so then that just kind of got me thinking like, why, why should I hide under a little rock? You know, (laughs) don't do it. (laughs) Mason, Kathleen, is the abstract art world very broy? I'm assuming it is, because bullshit is men's number one export. So I don't know. I do not know. <laughs> For the better. I started selling my art during a pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> so my exposure is very limited. I can only... <laughs> Probably for the better. <laughs> I can only really say like what I experienced in my art program in undergrad and the answer is sometimes I think I happen to have really incredible professors when I was at school and really good mentors and I also wasn't going through that program with the intention of ending up in that world at the time so I don't know it probably is because everything is (laughs) yeah uh, it is as much as anything is I guess would be the answer to that question, Sean. (laughs) Sigh. But it it is funny because we live in a world where, to some extent, it can be avoided, right? Mm -hmm. Because you can have an Instagram, right? And you you can put the work out there and you can never entirely, but in some ways, sidestep the places where it is most immediately shitty. We've talked a great deal on the show about my personal feelings about curators and about galleries and about all of that stuff. And I have very mixed feelings about social media and everything, but one of the most beautiful things about it is the ability to just remove those forces from the equation and and create a space where you can, you know, just put stuff out there and see what happens, right? Mm-hmm. Without needing that feedback or maybe more accurately without meeting people who feel that they need to give you that feedback whether you want it or not <laughs> they'll find yeah. it yeah right but always 
People in the comments. But but you don't have to be locked in a room with them, with them talking directly at you, um, which is another beauty of the pandemic too. Mm-hmm. I don't have to. I don't have to explain shit to anybody. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm okay with a break for a little while. Yeah. With that. Yeah. So you're going to to grad school for a a non art focus, mm-hmm. and at, at at least in the sort of core of it. Um, so I'm getting my MS in peace and conflict resolution with a, uh, my focus is in media narrative and public discourse. Mm. You want me to explain any of that? What does yeah, that mean? Yeah. Actually, please do. <laughs> um. Okay. Um, so just like broad strokes, the field of peace and conflict resolution is relatively new. There weren't actual like programs at schools for it until I think like almost the 2000s. So now it's becoming like a more populated field, but still the research is relatively new, rooted in mostly sociology, but also like social psychology and religious studies, political studies, etc. And the focus at the program that I am in, you can really take it in two different ways. You can do like something more practical, like becoming a facilitator or a mediator or an ombudsperson, or you can go into like research. And when I started my degree, I was thinking that I was going to take it in like a practical direction. And now I'm thinking impractical. Yeah. And going into research. (laughs) 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 So I really don't know yet. I still have a year left of my degree and I am just like feeling overwhelmed right now because I have to start writing my thesis in the fall and what my thesis topic is. I don't know, (laughs) Um, but we're getting there. So right now, what I've been focusing on with the like narrative and discourse analysis stuff is basically just how language is used within conflict settings or how language is used in media to like support certain structures that exist that maybe like perpetuate conflicts. So yeah, that's, that's very broadly what it is. (laughs) That's kind of what we basically do here, except, you know, (laughs) with probably less noble goals. Um, We're not trying to end (laughs) conflict. We might be starting some. But you're not, Sean, you're not trying to end conflict. Fine. You are thriving on conflict. Okay. Well, I'm here to help. <laughs> Too late, Kathleen. That's why we brought you on. Yeah. This is an intervention well, for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Surprise, Sean. Um, yeah, I mean, so it is not so distant from, from art after all then, right? Like the core of of media study is is the humanities and and arts in general i would i would assume yeah yeah there definitely is a literary aspect to what i'm studying which i find really interesting and then there are there are facilitation practices that are being developed now that like involve art like there's this mm. um there's this facilitation practice that was recently developed by a graduate of my university called Photo Voice, where 
instead of having like a traditional facilitation where everyone talks about their grievance and the facilitator tries to make sense of it, everyone just goes around in a circle and shows an image, a, a photograph that they took of with some particular prompt in mind. And oftentimes the goal is some sort of transformative community justice. And so then the way that it works, it's kind of like a domino effect where the first person starts out talking about their photograph and what it means to them. And then as you go along, you just get this like natural effect of the story is getting more and more emotional and more personal. And then what ends up being accomplished is like really what you would want in a good facilitation practice where everyone has like a really emotional experience where they feel deeply connected with one another and in that way can function as like this really beautiful kind of community building tool. Hmm. So yeah. So are you one step away from applying that to your art practice? <laughs> Making everyone take out an easel? I I thought about doing something like that for my thesis. Um but do it, do it. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> let, us, I, let me bully I'm, you into doing it. Oh, wait, it's not conflict <laughs> resolution, but. <laughs> no. I can't be bullied. I'm immune. <laughs> TBA on that. That makes exactly one of us here. It's not true. I'm extremely, <laughs> you, you can really bully me and I'll be very upset. <laughs> I mean, there's a long very deep history of that sort of like practical application art, particularly as a more like performance art aspect. But I think of like a lot of the, like especially feminist art in the 1970s of Mm -hmm. like just go out to a place and engage in the space. And so it, you know, it raises that, that question of, well, then, you know, what is art? What can be art? But I think that it, it's really, I, re- I really love stuff like that that takes these practices like photography, obviously, my own, you know, sort of passion, but any art form and applies it to a sort of practical need, for lack of a, a better term. Like, how can, how can we use these things that, you know, these tools that we already have and that to some extent everybody has access to mm-hmm. or that a lot of people have access to or a basic understanding of and use it to accomplish some other social goal and that is you know that becomes even more beautiful when we think about how underappreciated those things are often in you know not just as tools but in just society in general you know like yeah how do we take art and turn it into a a real actual practical tool that everybody can go oh yeah this is important yeah i mean definitely as a kid i was like dealing with a lot of anxiety issues that I didn't understand and didn't have the language for. And I always felt like very much at home in art class. Like for some reason, just the rest of school, like all the rest of my classes, I didn't really feel like I could communicate very well with people. And I like wasn't a good reader and they were just like, I wasn't a very good student. And like, I just, (laughs) I just really excelled in art and I felt like it was a language that I could both understand internally and also communicate with really easily, even with my peers, but especially with like my teachers. 
I felt like there was just, there was a bridge there that I just didn't have anywhere else. Totally. I'm, I'm, I can definitely relate to that Mm -hmm. myself. I don't, I don't know about you, Sean, but like, I was an okay student, but like art, art class was definitely the the place where I like felt most at home. And Mm -hmm. any day that the teacher said, okay, today we're going to do some activity with some art aspect. I was like, yeah, now (laughs) I'm going to, now I'm going to excel at this, Mm -hmm. which is so funny because I, I, I feel like a lot more people than we realize have that experience, right? Like Mm -hmm. there are a lot of people who just don't operate in the public school space naturally, except in classes like art and that sort of thing. And as, as you talk to more and more people, you realize that that is a common thread and um, it really, it really underlines like how, um, how actually important that stuff is, right? Mm -hmm. We need it. More arts education. Yeah, I feel like there should be just as much. I feel like there should be just as much focus on art as there is on like physical education. You know, right? Who needs to know how to fucking square dance? <laughs> Basketball. <laughs> I always walked the mile, so I. <laughs> I hated PE. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we don't need any more football stadiums. We have enough of those. No. Let's, uh, let's buy some colored pencils. Football, what is that even? What kind of sport is that? <laughs> Made up numbers and rules and stuff. <laughs> some, you know, some people view art that way as well, Sean. So some, a lot of people view music that way. So you should be careful with how you yeah. disparagingly talk about others. Well, how does football sound as good without the theme song in the background? Da-da-da-da-da! And the stupid <laughs> graphics? My gosh. You're right. You're right. Yeah, you need it. I once witnessed a wedding where oh, no. the bride and groom's entrance music at their oh, reception no. was the Monday Night Football theme. No. <laughs> um, I, I cannot. Yeah. Did he chuck the bride and then someone <laughs> catch her? Like, touchdown! Oh, if only. No. I, I, was just, I, was just at a, I was at an art museum and the, there was a wedding happening in the reception hall. <laughs> And I just happened oh, to witness it. Like, I don't know these people, but <laughs> they they decided to do it like at the big art museum in Richmond, um, and have the NFL team. <laughs> that that is a richly layered situation. There's so yeah. much going on there. It's very complicated. It's like right next to the Fabergé egg exhibit. That's like. <laughs> One of the only ones in the country. <laughs> See, art museums are important. Where else are you going to have weddings? Next to Fabergé eggs. Because we'll run out of barns someday. Oh yeah. my God, we will run out of barns someday. And have we canceled <laughs> plantation weddings, or are, are white people still trying to do that one? I think white. I think white people are still trying to do that one. Yeah, unfortunately. Sigh. Yeah, fully canceled. But if we haven't gotten rid of it yet, it's going to take a little bit more time, I think, just yeah. based on how the speed at which we are handling everything else. Um, <laughs> yeah. I just lost my strain of thought. I got distracted by, Sean, how you seem to <laughs> think football works, which involves the throwing of <laughs> a bride. participants. Yeah. A bride. Of a bride. <laughs> the traditional throwing of the bride at the end of, at the beginning of every game. <laughs> or punting her. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> That's how that works, right? <laughs> Whoever can throw her the furthest gets to go first. I don't know. Ah! 
<laughs> the end. Right. Oh my god. See, and and this is the level of understanding that we had with the amount of that sports played into our own education. So, you know, do do yeah. we really think that we can cut art funding any further than we already have? Oh my god, that's such a great point. Although I did take gym over the summer in high school, both years that I had to take it so that because I was like too embarrassed to run in front of the people at my high school. And, um, and I also wanted to take art and band. So, <laughs> so I, uh, took it over the summer. So I literally like never had an in-person PE class in high school, which was great. Highly recommend. Yeah. I think you did that right. Take notes, our young listeners, assuming we have any. I don't. <laughs> our demographics don't skew that young. Yeah. <laughs> Mostly driven away by your language, Sean, I assume. <laughs> Shouldn't Gen Z be into my language? I don't know how kids work. <laughs> yes, it's ma, that's so sus. House down boots. Oh, yeah, there we go. <laughs> we got them. Oh TikTok. <laughs> TikTok, okay. Oh, they will flock to you now. Yes. We will get canceled immediately because we think they're terrible. Our tags for this episode are going to be so on point or fleek or whatever. Oh, my God. Oh, no. See, this, we need conflict resolution. Kathleen, oh, no. you are here. I don't know if I can deal with this. <laughs> John, I feel like you came into this episode with a very different idea of, of why our guest was here and, and what they would be providing. <laughs> I'm all ready to talk about art, and you're here to end conflict for imagined yeah. conflicts, it seems. And I won't apologize. With a very powerful group. <laughs> Un- uh, decidedly powerful. <laughs> Would we like to talk about art? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> like the art you sent us. Do do art. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Um, well, this is going to be really confusing because none of the pieces that I sent you have titles um, <laughs> as of right now. <laughs> the one with um, the white background and the, a lot of black and they look like <laughs> staglocytes? Staglocytes, yep. That's it. That's the one. So that one was really kind of a happy accident. I well, I try to get all of my paint, etc. for cheap or free. So... I recently posted on my like neighborhood Facebook page and was like, Hey, does anyone have any old house paint that they want to get rid of? And like 25 people responded to me. And now I have literally a mountain of latex house paint just sitting over there in the corner of my office. It's like almost as tall as me. And then there's this store in Richmond that is basically like a thrift store for art supplies, which is the coolest. So I got this like huge roll of canvas from there for like 20 bucks. So I just kind of like lucked into being able to make these like really big pieces, which I've been thinking about for a while. So since I have an excess of paint, I've been kind of experimenting with just like layering a bunch of paint on top of each other and then just moving, like physically moving the canvas around and manipulating it through just picking it up moving it or in some cases like making a lot of layers and then scraping away and removing 
So that's kind of what happened there. And that painting took like, I don't know, an hour, <laughs> which was very cool. And it just kind of like was one of those magical things where it just kind of happened and it like turned out in a way that I really liked. And I was just throwing paint around. And yeah. So that's generally how you work is just like doing things until they feel done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like a, like a fuck around and find out mentality. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't sound like conflict resolution. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. It's kind of nice. <laughs> Are you looking toward, um, you know, I feel like the obvious question in any conversation like this is like, who are you looking toward for inspiration? Um, or like the art, the art school version of that is who have you studied and like who, what, where do you place yourself in the canon? Um, and that's heavily fraught. But I'm curious <laughs> if, if you feel like there are any like particular visual inspirations for this or if it's really as an extension of the process, if it's just doing things and seeing how they come out. And, and this is the sort of form that, that it's taken. Yeah. I think that, uh, like I said before, I have never really connected that much with abstract art until I started making it. And before that, I, I mean, there are a lot of painters that I really like, obviously, but one that comes to mind um, that I do think about pretty often is Howardina Tyndall, who is an abstract painter, and she does like these paint collages where she paints all this paper and then cuts them out and then like reformulates them in these really intricate ways. And the texture that she creates is very cool. And she was also, I mean, is she's still alive, <laughs> um, just like a pretty foundational feminist artist. So I think about her work a lot. And then also lately I've been getting a lot of inspiration from textile artists. There are just a lot of people who are making like really incredible things with incredible textures. And I think about them a lot when I'm painting and but I like texture. I like like chunky kind of fat paint, and <laughs> and I feel like it kind of is um, reminiscent of some textile work sometimes. I mean, just thinking about what expired house paint must be like. Um, the smell. I can, <laughs> oh I can imagine. <laughs> it's a mess. It's a mess, and that's actually like what's kind of cool about it is that a it's latex. So I'm using like a mixture of latex and acrylic and sometimes watercolor, gouache, etc. And a lot of the paint that I've gotten is either completely separate with this like kind of glaze, almost clear pigment at the top and then the latex solids at the bottom. And then when that mixes together with other types of paint, it often like will break up in an interesting way. 
And that's kind of fun too, because when I'm painting something, like I literally have no idea if it will look the same when it dries, because the, some of the paint that I'm using is so awful. <laughs> and so old, like some of it, the, the labels are from like 2002, because they've just been sitting in people's garages. Ooh, sure. Since they moved into their house. So, but it's, it's really fun. It's like, I, I think that that is like a big part of my quote unquote process is just kind of like seeing what comes out of something and just kind of seeing how something works and how it interacts with the things around it. And I think that that specifically is why abstract art usually at least in my experience, usually feels like it appeals to people who already work in that medium mm-hmm. because so much of it is connected to that experiential part of it, right? Mm-hmm. So like in painting, like if you know paint, you might have had some experience, you know, when the, when you look at a, one of your pieces, you might have had similar experiences or you might know what's happening on that canvas where somebody who doesn't paint just won't have that sort of background. Mm-hmm. But that's also like fascinating about it too, because I feel like there is, we don't talk enough as artists about how much of what we do is not knowing what we're doing, you know, mm-hmm. even, even if like you are really well practiced in, in your craft or whatever, the, the best stuff, I don't know very many people who would disagree with me honestly about this, but like the best stuff happens when you are like totally out of your element in one way or another. Mm-hmm. Or, or working with something that's totally not ideal. And mm-hmm. expired house paint is like the top, <laughs> you know, one of the top <laughs> examples of like something that does not work as it is intended to. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, I don't know. I, I kind of feel like when there is certainty, it's A, it's not as fun. And B, it's, you're not being challenged to really create something new. And then I feel like if you're not being challenged to do that, then the work can start to feel a little bit bland. Just from a personal, just like from a personal fulfillment perspective, I don't, I don't want to be, I I think that maybe that's why like traditional painting has not really ever been that appealing to me because A, I'm impatient and B, I like, I don't really like things to be perfect like that. You look like you're going to say something. <laughs> Am I? Am I about to sneeze? Who knows? Who's going first? Who's going to do it? <laughs> I will burst said bubble. Um, so I really do enjoy how you talk about how personal your practice is to you. Mm-hmm. But now in pandemic that you've made an Instagram, that you're now selling your art, mm-hmm. it, does inevitably like the audience experience or perception of your work affect the process, ex- affect how you view your own art, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The ending circle of how artists feel about people looking at their art. <laughs> um. I don't know. I think at first it did. Um, but now the way that I feel about it is I'm, I feel like I'm mostly doing it for myself. And then the fact that other people seem to enjoy it at least a little bit is kind of like a bonus, which feels great because I, 
I don't know that like a year ago, I wouldn't have been comfortable with doing it. And I definitely would be like checking to see if like people liked my posts and stuff all the time. Whereas now I kind of feel like I just put things out there and when people like things and like comment nice things, it feels nice, but mostly I feel like I'm just doing it for myself. And, and I haven't, like I haven't done any commissions yet, so there's literally no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> About that. What a beautiful place to be that I don't I know. Uh, it's not it's probably not sustainable, but whatever. <laughs> eh. I don't know. You could make a whole art practice about trying to figure out how to make that sustainable. <laughs> um, yeah. Which turns into an Ouroboro situation and you know. We don't have to fall too far down that rabbit hole, but mm-hmm. to think about. I feel like it's an interesting time to sort of jump into that end of it too, because Instagram in particular is so different now, and mm-hmm. and especially in the last year of of just how it operates as as an art space, you know, where it isn't really. And so, again, just from personal experience, totally. Like for me, the pressure of that that level of performance that was once expected is off because it's just not possible like the it's mm-hmm. it's not built for that kind of engagement i don't feel like mm-hmm. which has been a really beautiful thing because it's like i don't have to worry about that anymore i can just make what i want and the people who are seeing it generally care about it yeah i just it's it's such an interesting swing to have witnessed in just 10 years of just like you know that that whole space has shifted completely, and so to like be working in a art practice now in that in that way, I don't know it it just feels like it would be a very different experience than it was five or ten years ago, especially as you are like figuring out your voice and and figuring out like what you want what you even want the process to be maybe yeah yeah definitely. We like engagement on our Instagram. Please follow our Instagram at MeaningWhatPod. Please like it so we make one day make a living of sorts off of this podcast. Please and thank you. Uh, Sean, that was one of the most flawless, most natural plugs anyone has ever done on any audio medium. Yeah. Truly organic. That didn't take me out of the conversation at all. No. And I'm sure that in editing it, it will only be smoother. <laughs> oh, of course. <laughs> On that note, Kathleen, where can people find your work? Um, so I have an Instagram. It is underscore K-L-A-R-T-S-E-N uh, at, at the beginning, of course. <laughs> I've never had to plug myself before. Um, <laughs> and then uh, I have a website that's linked on my Instagram account. Um, and... Yeah, that's where I am. And we will, of course, link to all of that in the episode description. Go give Kathleen a follow. And thank you for coming on today. It was really nice to talk to you. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Anytime. Definitely.
You can okay, hit stop hitting I... record. Yeah. Okay. It's no Sam Studios. Well, actually, did I stutter?